0: And praise the Lord, everyone. The Lord. Amen. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. How excellent is His name in all the earth. I don't know about you, but little God, little praise. And this is the people of a great big God. You ought to be much praise in this house for our great Lord and King. Praise the Lord. Amen, 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 amen. Praise the Lord. Praise God, praise God. You may be seated. I would like to say that I was so blessed last evening by the ministry of the word of the Lord and the touch of God that was prevalent in this house. And I feel good about what God is doing. I've seen preachers that I haven't seen in years, and I've seen such a cross-section of uh, apostolic ministry, and it just makes me feel good to see this wonderful gathering of good men of God and their wives and families in this place. Amen. Somebody said that... uh, few there be, and I understand that, but I am appreciative of every one God-Jesus-Name-Apostolic Holiness preacher still holding the line today. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Amen, amen. Uh, One of the first uh, cautions that I guess a preacher has to have when he addresses a a congregation is to know his audience. And... uh, Usually we are a mixed multitude with saints and, and every preacher here knows the most difficult sometimes congregation to preach to is preachers and to teach to maybe. And after all, I would like to say this, I'm really uh, not coming to teach you anything as far as that goes, but uh, I would like to refresh with you some things. Because what I'm going to say, you know already. But you know, it's good sometimes not to have to teach people amazing grace all over again. That they can sing along with you. I'm just asking you to help me today with me. Would you do that? Praise the Lord. So you're not probably going to hear anything new. It's just going to be a resounding of what we all believe and stand on. Amen. Praise the Lord. And uh, God help us here today as we endeavor to do just that. I would like for you to take your Bible, so I do not encroach upon uh, our next speaker's time here. If I can get this gizmo loose. And if you'll be turning to First Peter, the book of First Peter, chapter 1. And let me preface what I am attempting here in the Holy Ghost today, at least what I've felt in God, I I realize that sometimes it's much easier to give information, even biblical information, than it is to give the expression of the feeling of God. And many times when you separate The information from the heart of God, you end up with a deadness. But the information must always be a mixing of the heartbeat of God. And the hardest thing about preaching and teaching sometimes is to express how God feels. The feeling of the Lord. So if you will help me here today, I want to somehow just highlight once again in your life and in your heart about how God feels about His church and about why He feels like He does. Once that you again extract and dismiss the heartbeat of God, then all kinds of tangents come in. But when you know the heart of God, the information stays correct. The doctrine stays correct. Praise the Lord. First Peter chapter 1. And we do give high honor to every one God apostolic preacher and his wife and family in this conference. Chapter 1, verse 13. Wherefore gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And if you would like to flip back into the Old Testament, find in the book of Exodus in the 34th chapter, and the 14th verse, it reads, For thou shalt worship no other god. For the Lord, whose name is jealous, is a jealous God. Amen. For it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And Exodus is just one incident that tells us that not only is he just jealous, but his name is jealous. He is a jealous God. combining here today for the next little bit of time, again, I would like to try to bring to you the expressed feeling of God about this holy jealousy of God. A holy jealousy of God. There is no way that you can separate those two things. He is holy, and He is a jealous God. And His jealousy is a holy jealousy. God is the only one that can have jealousy, and it be 100% holy. Hallelujah. Amen. If you would help me now as we go to the Lord, and ask that He would somehow touch My heart, my mind, your heart and your mind, in Jesus' name. God, we thank you today. We thank you, Jesus. God, that you would dwell in this place, touching our hearts and our lives, changing us by the power of your presence. I thank you for this safe place again today and for the Holy Presence that makes all the difference. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you as you're seated here today. The Apostle has made the express demand to gird up the loins of your mind. Is an expression that simply means to get set, to run the race in your mind. And it also means to do it with determination, begin the race to finish the race. And it is a race of holiness in all conversation, meaning all manner of your life. Being the Bible student, that you are, you are very aware that if you begin to analyze something that is holy or a thing that is holy, the more designation of holy unto the Lord it is typed as, the more restrictive it becomes. If you took God's eye view and looked down upon the earth, encompassing all people, all nations in the time of the Old Testament, then of course your first view would have been upon the entirety of the world, encompassing everything where everything goes. But in that earth there was a camp of Israel. There was a people of God separated unto Himself. Several millions. So now you draw the focus from the large extremity of all people and all nations down to a narrow focus of several million people of the tribes of Israel. But even then, the focus is going to be constricted even further as you begin to look because the encampment of that camp is camped around a tabernacle and there is in the center in the very hub of their life was the enclosure of the tabernacle with the linen fence and one gate that led into that place and so there the focus closes even down further but it continues to do so because from there even when it goes on to a brazen altar after you come in the one gate and into the brazen altar there is one place of sacrifice and then it narrows down to the brazen labor that place where the priest must watch lest he die and then from there the focus even Constricts even more as you come to the tabernacle proper and you come to pushing the curtain aside and entering into the holy place and therefore closing out much of everything else that is around them. But yet, on the left, the candlestick. On the right, the table of chew bread. Even above and before Him is the altar of incense. And in that great veil. Even into this place come priests by course. In other words, several priests will come into this place. We've already eliminated many people. Now down to a few. But yet there is one more dimension that is yet ahead. it's called properly the holiest of holies. Even the holiest of holies, once a year, one man enters into that place, into the most holy, secular place that God has where the blood is applied. What I'm trying to tell you is just simply this. The more holy a thing is, the more restrictive it becomes. It is not the other way around. God is still a holy God. He is still a holy God with jealousy. Praise the Lord. No wonder it is said in Matthew to enter in at the straight gate. Amen. For wide, wide is the way and many there be that go in there at but few there be that find that straight gate. By the way, the word there is the word S-T-R-A-I-T. Not S-T-R-A-I-G-H-T, as it is commonly thought of. Amen. Being a like-sounding word, but very different in meaning. The word straight, S-T-R-A-I-T, does not mean S-T-R-A-I-G-H-T. There's nothing wrong with indicating a path that is straight from line to line point. But that is not what this is talking about. When it says straight, it is the same word that you find in Philippians where the Apostle has said, for I am in a strait betwixt two. Amen. To either preach Christ or to go ahead and leave this world. And that strait he's talking about is not a straight line from one point to another. It's talking about an agonizing, straining, even groaning, pressing into the kingdom of God. Praise God. And Isaiah, had said, a way shall be there. And it shall be called the, not a, the way of holiness. Amen. Amen. Now, when you begin to compare Matthew seven thirteen and this Isaiah, you begin to see that that way has to be this holiness way. Has to be. And that it is a straight way. And it's also where you get words like straight jacket, confining, restrictive. Where you get the term about somebody that is extremely or excessively strict to be straight laced. It is not the word S-T-R-A-I-G-H-T but it is the word S-T-R-A-I-T. And the word highway there is not the contemporary usage as we use it today, meaning the place where most people go to get where they're going. Matter of fact, it's almost the opposite. It is not the common way, but it is the high elevated way that few there be go in there at. Amen. Praise the Lord. So when one begins to again uh, link together, as we're to do with the Bible, for instance, Matthew 7.13 and then Luke 13.24, where this word straight uh, gate is mentioned, you see that it says strive to enter. that straight gate. The word strive comes from a word that means to agonize. And the word narrow comes from the word that means to be pressed. And the word straight again means to be with groaning. And what you get a picture of in Matthew and Luke when it is talking about this way that leadeth unto life is actually a graphic picture of the new birth experience. It's actually a picture of a natural birth. That is taking place. A groaning, pressing, agonizing that is bringing forth a new into this world. And that is the way the new birth is expressed in your Bible. Matter of fact, let me tell you, that joy and all the gladness and all that are a result of the new birth. But the new birth itself is bought with groaning and agonizing and pressing your way into the kingdom of God. I still say let them repent at the altar. I still say let them get clean. I still say let them press their way in, Amen. The joy will come. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Except a man be born to water and spirit, he cannot. That's emphatic. Enter into the kingdom of God. Somebody said, what do you think about building bridges to the Trinitarians? Well, I'm all for Trinitarians getting saved. Aren't you? I like to see the altar full every time you go to church with somebody that needs the Lord. Amen. But you know what? A bridge always brings to my mind something that goes over the water. And what I say is let them come through the water in Jesus' name. Don't build a bridge. Bring them across the river of Holy Ghost baptism in Jesus' name. Well, praise the Lord. We're not going to bypass anything. This is still a one God, Jesus' name, apostolic. And that straight gate takes you back to the, to the tabernacle itself. narrow gate that one way. Back to the brazen altar where the dying, the groaning, and the pressing is taking place. To the brazen labor, to the water, and to the holiest place and the holiest of holies. Amen. Again, the fulfillment of what Acts 2.38 is all about. Praise the Lord. By the way, while we're here in this first section of the holy place, holy, everybody say holy. 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 Again, if you could get the feeling of God about this word. Get the expression of why it means what it does to Him. It meant so much that He said, Be holy, for I am holy. Hallelujah. I've always ascertained that he wants the best for us. Don't you? Hallelujah. But in that place when the priest comes in to minister into the holy place, it would be in darkness if it were not for the candles stick or the lampstand that is to his left. This is a unique apparatus. God, by pattern and by divine design, had this candlestick to be beaten from pure gold. Matter of fact, a talent of gold, about the weight of a man. Somewhere around 125 pounds of beaten, not, not molded. Not in sections. But divinely God-gifted craftsmen to beat from a one-talent piece of gold. This beautiful menorah. This light bringer that is there in the holy place. Beaten work. It was to be. Surely, again, I do not have to emphasize to you that that is a beautiful example of Calvary, the beaten one, the one man-sized beaten into this fashion that brought the light in this holy. But it would be dark without this lamp, and the lamp itself is one central shaft. Six branches, three to either side, coming off of that lamp. He is the root, central staff, and the offspring of Jesse. He is all in all. Amen. But I find with this light that shines, you you can't even see the candlestick itself except by the light of the candlestick. No man can say Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Somebody said, I don't see it. Well, it just tells me where you are. This gospel will be hid. It is hid to them that are lost. Hallelujah. But just a minute. Look here with me just a moment at this. Just take one branch. As a branch is going out to where the... Lamp is on the end, this oil lamp that is there. It is designed this way. There are three buds, and there are three blossoms alternating bud, blossom, bud, blossom, until that it reaches the height of that branch and comes to the almond shaped. All filled lamp. So it's bud, blossom, bud, blossom, till it eventually reaches the almond or the fruit of the all filled lamp. We can say bud, father, blossom, son. Amen, Holy Ghost. This is one branch with three manifestations on the same branch. In the Old Testament, it was the bud. A bud is closed. What it is, is closed up on the inside. You do not see what is on the inside in the bud? All you can observe is the closed bud. Amen. Old Testament bud, Old Testament Father. Amen. But when Jesus Christ even came to this world, what happened was that the manifestation of the bud began to open into the glorious blossom of Jesus Christ, manifesting the glory of what he always had been, always. This was this is not a second person of the Godhead. This is just the unveiling. This is just the opening of the blood showing I am the Father. See me. (laughs) Hallelujah. Let's blood blossom and then almond. Everybody knows enough horticulture to know, even first the bud closed, keeping secret until the time would come where things would move up in the system of that branch and open up the blossom. But the blossom is not the end of the story, even because now there's yet one more manifestation waiting upon the branch. But for it to take place, the blossom must die. The blossom must cease to exist. Uh, even when it does, uh, it brings forth the fruit of the oven. Uh, Amen. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Jesus Christ is the Father. Jesus Christ is the Son. Jesus Christ is the Holy Ghost. Even these three are one. But came, opened into the blossom, and we revealed and saw the glory of God. Amen. Thank God the fruit of that blossom that went to Calvary, even now, is manifested in the church as the oil field lamp. Hallelujah who likes every man that cometh into the world. I'm glad I know who the light of the world is. I'm glad I know who the blood is, who the blossom is, and who the almond is. That's why we baptize in the name of the blood, the blossom, and the almond, in the name of Jesus Christ. Praise God. Amen, amen, amen. But you can only see that in holy light. You don't see that with natural light. When you come into this place, you're in holy light. Amen. That's the reason a lot of folks don't see a lot of things. Is there in the wrong light? We're living in the hour of the logician where logic rules as king. I've never seen so much logic destroying biblical doctrine in all my life. Hallelujah. Logic appeals to the natural intellect of people. But I'd like to tell you here today, there are still some things that are not logic found in this Bible. They're still of faith. They're still of the Word of God. Some things are just simply, just because Jesus said it, I've heard every argument you have too about why that ladies can cut their hair and it's all right with God. And it's always a logic explanation. Same thing with wearing clothes that pertaineth unto a man, with using a logic presentation, and they can sound ever. So good, even but once you get the spiritual heartbeat of Almighty God about holy and about holiness, uh, even you'll always recognize logic is against God when it comes to defying the One that is twice and three times holy, and that's not a trinitarian salute; it is a magnification of the One that is holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Hallelujah. Now you take just a a simple little example of those of you that had the misfortune of having a Ford. So it may tell lights on Fords are optional. Nobody's ever behind you. But you know what? In the Ford assembly line, they bolt together transmissions, engines, wheel bearings, fenders, Windshields, well, somewhere on there, I'll guarantee you this, there is a fellow that his job is to put that blue Ford marker in the grill. Oh, yes, it is. Now, turn, Mr. Logic Thinker. Engine, I can see where we need it. Tires, see where you need that. Fender, sure. Windshield wouldn't want to drive without it. But I think we can save upteen millions of dollars around here by taking off that emblem off the grill. I believe we could really save and be in the black way ahead. If we just take this guy out that's putting the emblem in the grill. And he may come to that assumption. And somehow I think he's doing everybody a favor and a company a favor by the thousands of thousands of dollars that he's saving. But I'm telling you, sooner or later, a CEO is going to come marching down the steps and he's going to say, why isn't our the grill. They said, well, you don't need it because it doesn't help horsepower. It doesn't make it go any faster. Even it doesn't help the color scheme, we send no reason to have it there. And he says, you're looking at the reason. Even this is a Ford product and it's going to have a Ford name on it. Uh, It's not put there even for the consumer. It's put there for us. It's put there for Ford. Let me tell you folks something. God still has some things. When you put the connotation of holy on something, it means separated unto God. That's why the tithe is holy unto the Lord. Amen. He said, be holy for I am holy. I'm not talking about just a transmission of information here. I'm talking about getting a feeling of an actual attribute. Even beyond that This is the primary characteristic of God Is holiness It's the hallmark Of God Almighty the Bible never says And we all know that God is love the Bible never says Love, love, love God is love, love, love We know He's merciful But it never says God is mercy, mercy, mercy But it does say He is holy, holy, holy. Hallelujah. And that again is not a Trinitarian salute. That's not one for the Father, one for the Son, and one for the Holy Ghost. Even that is a superlative degree of holiness. That's the third degree of emphasis. Even the Holy Ghost is said, I want you to say not just holy, but I want you to say that the Lord is holy, holy, holy. Praise God every time i again if you could if you could understand a little bit of the heartbeat of what I'm trying to say, I'm not trying to teach you anything new, but again, if we could refresh the feeling of heart holiness in our lives, hallelujah, you know every time I read that. In the Bible, where it talks about the cherubim, still touches me. God has given them six wings. But two two are used for the movement, with two, they did fly. Well, another set they cover their feet. And yet with another set, they cover their face in the presence of a holy God. Now, far as I can understand, these are beings that have never smoked one cigarette. These are beings that have never used His name in blasphemy. These are beings that have never told the first lie, that have never honky-tonked, that have never caroused, that have never been in a bed of adultery, that have never told a dirty joke. These are beings that are pristine in their character, and yet in the presence of a holy, holy, holy God, and they've got to cover their face with the wings that God has given them. How much should we be moved in the presence of a holy, holy, holy God? Folks, there's something wrong when we lose this touch. Amen. It somehow makes us want to put our face in the carpet before the Lord. Amen. It makes you want to cast off everything that is unholy and unlike Him. Amen. And somehow, if here hear again the clarion call, Be holy, for I am holy. I'm telling you, I don't know about you, but He brought me a mighty, long way. He brought me a mighty, mighty, long way. And I'm so glad to be in His presence. But I'll tell you, sometimes it's not just heel kicking. Sometimes i got to get down and say, God be merciful to me, a sinner. (laughs) Praise God. I've got to hurry here. Amen. His name, not only using the title so often, but here in Exodus it said his name is Jealous. Jealous. That simply means that he's a God that will not tolerate a rival or unfaithfulness. False gods have no problem dwelling with false gods. Baal can sit alongside Astaroth. They have no problem in company with other false gods. But when you set a Baal in front and bring God into the same place, somebody's going down. I we cannot coexist with people that believe that there are three persons in the Godhead. I'm telling you, it will not work. We want them saved, but to save them is saved like everybody that sat on a bar stool, everybody that walked any other avenue of life is still repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Today Praise God Amen, amen, amen I'll tell you what He won't put up with us Exalting ourselves In His presence either Sometimes I get to thinking The worms that ate Herod May be ready for another meal I don't want to be it Hallelujah I can tell you this You can't be God's favorite and not be subject to his jealousy. Right. Yeah. His world you know, I, I thought somebody said to answers, and that's true. But sometimes I it's like to be among people asking the same questions. You know what I mean? Hallelujah. His worldliness still a sin. Worldliness is just the sin of allowing your appetites and ambitions or your conduct to be fashioned according to the world's status quo. In First John it says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh that means to have, the lust of the eyes meaning to see, and the pride of life meaning to be. Is not of the Father, but is of the world. Hallelujah. What is happening in so much of what is in Pentecost today is that it has got to the place that there is a parade to somehow appeal to the sensual everything that is contrary to holy jealousy. I don't have time to fill in all the roads that you, you were preachers I'm talking to. You know all those routes and those ways. I'm again refreshing our remembrance of why God feels like He feels. I'd like to, in closing here today, there was a law, but I do not have time to read that, that you'll find in the book of Numbers. It is the law when a man begins to have a spirit of jealousy. And he has either correctly ascertained that she is unfaithful or he is jealous, and it is not the fact. And so there was a law that was incorporated into your Bible. And it was simply this, that that man shall come to the priest and they shall bring that woman before the priest. And they shall bring the water from the labor, a certain amount of the water. And then the priest shall go into the tabernacle proper and kneeling down he shall collect dust Because the floor of the tabernacle is not floored, it is the earth. And he gets dust of the tabernacle, drops it into that glass, and then he reads the curses of unfaithfulness. And then he blots it with the water, and the ink is mixed with the dust and the water and the curses are in the cup and now then the time of judgment or deliverance has come for the woman and he says you drink this if you have been unfaithful to your husband your belly shall swell your thighs shall rock and you shall die That was law. Flip the pages through time. Somewhere, maybe in John, a long way back in Numbers, or ahead. All of a sudden, Jesus set teaching, and into the crowd there comes several men pushing a woman before them, and they approach Jesus and say. We caught her in the very act. The word says to stone her. What do you say? And one of the most strange actions of Jesus Christ takes place. No doubt he is standing. Because it says he stoops down. And into the dirt. The dust of the earth. Where the serpents track. Is clearly seen. Earthly of man, dust to dust. He breathed in the nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. And many people surmised his writing as he began to write in the dust. Could it be the curses of unfaithfulness? standing before the one and the only one that could legally cast a stone. But you know what he did? They brought a perfect example of themselves to the real jealous husband, which was Jesus Christ. Hallelujah! And he began to ride into the sand. But just a little bit later, he is in the garden and saying, Father, if it's possible, let this cup, which surely should be their cup, the cup of unfaithfulness, the cup of transgression, the curses that will damn all the world, even because of their transgression and faithfulness to Almighty God. Amen, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but thy will be done. And this time it is not the unfaithful wife that takes the cup of cursing, but it is the a jealous husband. This is the holy jealousy of God, even that he would love so much that he would take the very cup of cursing and he drank it down himself, even for an unfaithful world, for an unfaithful people, for a people that have transgressed and sinned against him. I mean you, sir. I mean you, ma'am. I mean me. He drank it down every foul, dirty thing we've ever did that we should have been cursed and died for. Stand with me, please. What I'm saying is this. That the jealousy, holy jealousy of God was manifested on Calvary. And no wonder the apostle disclaims, for I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy for I've espoused you to one husband, that I may present you a chaste virgin to Christ. Hold oh, the beauty of those that will partake of the one that took the curse. Handwriting marked away. That was against us. When I could have drank it and been in hell already, He loved me so much. Revival is still for the people that know the holy jealousy of God. That's why we reach for the sinner. That's why we preach to them not to join our club. Amen. But to know this great, divine, wonderful, glorious power of a mighty God that is jealous over you with a godly jealousy. I feel like in this congregation today, there are individuals that are here much like it was when the Lord appointed a man with an acorn and said, there are such abominations in this hour, there are such transgressions, I want you to take an acorn and I want you to go throughout the city and I want you to mark everyone that mourns, everybody that is saying, God, your holiness is being drunk in the ditch. God, you're, you're somehow being denied your opportunity and your privilege of worship and power and chaste people that need to know you. And mark only those that have a significant sign of holy jealousy from me. I believe this is the marked congregation. I believe most of what is here has come because it's not a matter of just preaching Thou shalt and Thou shalt not but there is a heart that's saying God, You deserve better! How can I somehow allow my church to give Him any less than purity that He desires? That's why we preach the dress length. That's why we preach the women not cutting their hair and the men cutting theirs. That's why we preach the exclusion of jewelry. That's why we preach so many things because of a heartfelt, holy jealousy. Lift your hands, would you please?